Have you ever gone to check out at the grocery store and the headlines of the fitness and health magazines next to the checkout just completely pop off the page at you because they tell you that you can lose 10 pounds in 10 days. They tell you you should definitely be exercising in the morning if you want to lose belly fat. And they tell you you definitely need to be doing X, Y, or Z to completely change your life. Well, my friends, we're going to be talking today about how much of that you should really listen to. Welcome back to the Fit Feed Buy Read Podcast, my friends. Grateful as always for your listening ears. Today is going to help you become a discerning consumer of fitness content and nutrition content, my friends. I think this is going to be super helpful for you, especially if you are on a journey to making change. You are listening to the Health and Fitness Podcast for the Female Millennial. Step off the roller coaster of yo-yo diet and fitness trends with sustainable solutions to make positive habit change. Learn to stress less, eat smart, and move more with me, Coach Reed, and the Fit for Life-minded guests I bring onto the show. We'll tackle one diet myth at a time, give you tactical ways to make change in your life, and deliver it all with a lighthearted quirk that you just can't stop listening to. As I like to say, it's an educational audio treat better said like a lollipop for your ears. Let's dive in. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Fit Feed by Read podcast. Today, we're talking all about fitness magazines. I know this is a broad topic, but I want to talk specifically about the nutrition and exercise science, the research that is done that oftentimes informs some of the headlines, uh, the subject lines of various emails you might receive, what you see on the cover of the fitness magazine as you check out at the grocery store and you feel tempted to grab it. And we're going to talk today about why you need to be careful about what you're consuming and what you're doing with that information. Because those pieces of information aren't always as valid to our own personal lives as we might think, and they can create a lot of distraction from the things that actually do create change in our lives. So let's back up for a moment. I want to explain why I chose this topic for this week anyway. I receive a number of emails from various supplement companies, fitness companies, uh, you know, all kinds of publications. And I received one this week, this past week, with a subject line that read, what's the best time to exercise? Hmm. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I hope there's some sort of research attached to that, which there was. That's a win. We'll give them credit for that. So I clicked in and the the initial body copy or what the email read in layman's terms said, when should you work up a sweat? It depends. According to a recent U.S. study, women burn more fat in the morning and men burn fat best in the evening. Now, the U.S. study that they mentioned was linked. So I clicked into the link. We'll talk about this in a few, in, <laughs> later on in the podcast, but always click into the links. Okay, my friends? Mm-hmm. So I clicked into the link and it took me to a BBC News article that uh, stated a number of things about this piece of research that was recently conducted. And essentially, it talked about in, in brief, understandable, non-super scientific terms what the study was about. Now, one of the things that jumped off the page at me at first was the fact that it said the study was with 30 men and 26 women. Okay, so for starters, that's a very small sample size. In research terminology, that is like the N value. What is the N of the study? What is the (laughs) number of participants? 30 men and 26 women? Uh, Not a lot. What the study did is they took essentially active, healthy individuals between the ages of 25 and 55. They put them on a 12-week program and monitored the effects of various fitness variables 
and health metrics depending upon you know the time of day that they were working out. They tried to measure was it more or less beneficial to work out in the beginning of the day or in the afternoon, et cetera, et cetera. So this BBC article referenced kind of the high level of that and did offer a link to the actual research. So of course I clicked into that. Pro tip, do that, okay? Now I know that clicking into the actual research sometimes can be overwhelming because if you're not used to looking at this sort of stuff, it looks gonna look like a bunch of variables, but depending on how it's laid out on what website that it's uh, noted on, and I, by the way, will link uh, both of these studies in the uh, description of the podcast for you. This one had a pretty quick, concise summary of what the research was. Now, as I read in further here, it actually told me that, yes, there was 30, this, this one actually says there was 30 trained women and 26 men. So I think they accidentally flip-flopped it in the other article, but that's fine. Typos. And interestingly enough, it actually tells me that in the results section, only 27 women and 20 men completed the 12-week intervention. So the final end value, the number of people that actually their data contributed to the results of the study was even less. 27 women and 20 men. So the conclusion of the study reads, morning exercise, AM exercise, reduced abdominal fat and blood pressure, and evening exercise enhanced muscular performance in women in the women cohort. In the men cohort, PM exercise increased fat oxidation and reduced systolic blood pressure and fatigue. Thus, the time of day that you choose to exercise may be important to optimize individual exercise-induced health and performance outcomes in physically active individuals and may be independent of macronutrient intake. Hmm, okay. So they did say too that there was some level of control around the macronutrient intake of these individuals. That's good. They tried to do some level of controlling of, of very massive variables. But either way, the sample size of this study for me was just a giant red flag of like, uh, okay, so you mean to tell me this this very large supplement company sent out, and no no shame to them by any, by any means, because this is the sort of stuff that gets pushed out in articles and on magazine covers constantly, my friends. But the reason I share this with you is because it is a phenomenal example of I only found that information by digging deeper. So imagine this. If I was someone, maybe this is you, who was trying to lose weight and was accumulating lots of information into my inbox, through magazines, whatever it may be, to figure out how to do this best. Maybe you're someone who's like, you know what, right now I don't feel quite ready or financially ready to, to hire a coach and so I'm going to try to figure this out on my own and I'm just going to kind of acquire a bunch of information and see what I can do. I'm going to try my best. And if I was in that situation and I consumed this article, it basically would tell me, hey, if I was working on weight loss, that I should be exercising in the morning. So let's say I completely shifted my schedule and changed to working out in the morning, but for me individually, that actually wasn't conducive to my routine, wasn't conducive to other things in my life that made sense, but this one single article pushed me to make a change that actually drastically affected the flow of my day and the feeling of my week for some some research that, yes, was in fact research, but had a very, very small uh, number of individuals in the study. And also, interestingly enough, it noted that they were already active and healthy individuals. Interesting. So let's dive into some of the specifics. I want to give you guys some some really clear and concise tips because y'all know me. 
I like when things are clear and concise. And I want to talk start by talking about the honest truth about nutrition and exercise science. And then we'll dive into some specific things, some specific takeaways for you to implement when it comes to consuming any sort of this type of, of content. I think, first of all, I got some good news and bad news for you on a number of different topics here. Piece of good news number one is Yay! that there is constantly new research being done on humans and lab rats. Literally, yes. To test various nutrition and exercise science variables. That's good. There's constantly researchers that are trying to figure out uh, more information about how the body works. The body is a very, very complex system. Now, the fact that they're doing testing on lab rats and then connecting things back to humans. Yes, I understand there's certain testing that can't be done on humans from a moral perspective, of course. Uh, but we also have to be cautious of any sort of study we click into that indicates that all the testing was done on lab rats. Hmm, something to consider. The bad news, the other side of that is that nutrition and exercise science studies rarely are actually run on women. Now, I will give kudos to this study that I just mentioned because there was a group of women in the study, so that's good news. But the female monthly hormonal cycle adds a significant variable that is very, very hard to control for when it comes to getting participants into a study. So it's very common that nutrition and exercise science studies are not run on women. That's an interesting thing for you to note as you're considering all the various things here. Another piece of good news. Yay! Scientists are testing new variables constantly. Great. Good news. There's different variables they're finding. They're saying, hey, you know, let's investigate the timing of exercise and see how that, well, how does that stimulus affect the female or the male body, right? Let's do research on various macronutrient profiles, on sleep, all sorts of things. The bad news oh, and the challenging no. news is that there is no way to isolate any single variable because consider the life of a human or a test subject, right? Any of you or I can, can sign up for various number of studies out there and there's no way to isolate any single variable also because our bodies have individual genetic variants. So that's a variable that we, that we really can't control. The closest we could get to isolating single variables is if we had people basically live in bubbles and we said... You know, we're going to push some food through a little trapdoor and make you work out on that treadmill that's sitting in your bubble or whatever it was. And we said, hey, we're going to isolate a single variable. Now, that's insanity inducing. No one would sign up for studies like that, especially if they had any sort of length of time to them. So the challenge is that with any nutrition and exercise science study, there's almost always going to be some challenge of compounding variables that we cannot control for. Something to consider. Another piece of good news the studies are, in fact, being conducted. They're getting funding. They're happening. Great news. The bad news oh, is, as no. I mentioned earlier, the number the number of participants in the study or the sample size, the N, quote unquote, shall we say, really does matter. <laughs> 20 people, giant shocker, is not a significant sample size. So I want you to keep these things in mind when you are doing a little bit of investigation. If you start to say, hey, you know what? I want to click through to that link. I want to check out that that piece of research and see if maybe it is relevant. There are going to be some studies, my friends, that you do find that all these things line up in the right way. And you're like, you know what? This is actually really interesting information. They had, you know, multiple thousands of people in this study. The study ran for multiple years. Uh, they seemed to control for variables as best as they could. And, you know, this is interesting information that I think I could apply to my life. That's very fair. You're going to find that research. Cheers. Just do know that not everything that shows up on the front of a Cosmo magazine or the, you know, the front subject line of a 
you know, a supplement company's email is necessarily going to have all of those uh, requirements, shall we say, because there is no requirement on, on what they can leverage for marketing, if that makes sense. So let's jump into some specifics I want to give you guys when you're thinking about this concept of what should I consume? What should I do with that information? Point number one here is that it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at these studies, but we do need to look past the pages of the magazine article or the email or whatever it was. I want you guys to start finding these studies. If you're flipping through a magazine, studies should be referenced in the magazine somewhere. If they're not, that, my friends, is a red flag. (laughs) So see if you find something really interesting, see if you can go find it on the internet. See if you can find the actual study. Look, start by looking at the sample size, you guys. Look at the number of people that were actually participating in the study. Skim the methods and results and read the conclusion. The conclusion is usually your fastest way to kind of understand what were the results of the study. And they're going to phrase it in a scientific way that's not the marketing verbiage that the magazine may put on the cover. So take the time to say, hey, you know what? If I really want to consider this piece of information and I want to apply it to myself, I'm going to look into it sincerely. I'm not going to just change up my whole routine, change the way I eat, change the way I exercise, simply because one celebrity on the cover of a magazine (laughs) endorsed something, or there was one headline I saw that I really think I need to do. I really want to encourage you guys to do your research on some of these things. Point number two is that fitness magazines are continually getting you to chase the new thing the next new, hottest, latest, greatest thing. Because guess what? When you get to the point where you say, you know what? My body actually feels really good. When you get to the point where you're like, wow, my stress feels really managed. I'm sleeping pretty peacefully. I'm drinking a healthy amount of water. I'm eating pretty intuitively. I feel physically good in my body. I'm active. I have an exercise routine. And you aren't in that place where you're craving to change the next thing. I can almost guarantee you that your consumption of that sort of content, like fitness magazines, will decline. And guess what? They don't like that. They like when you have a new thing to chase because that keeps them selling magazines, selling programs, whatever it is. So think about if you were in the shoes of someone trying to market something and trying to sell magazines, how would you do that? Just imagine. Pause for a moment. Because if every, we also need to consider and pause to, to think about the fact that if every magazine cover gave us, you know, consistent, concise, sustainable solutions, they also probably wouldn't sell all that many magazines. Like literally, if the headline of a magazine read, manage your stress levels, eat more whole foods, and move your body more, move your body more, lose weight slowly and sustainably. Would anyone pick up that cover? No, because who wants to lose weight slowly? Eh, Most people don't prefer to lose weight (laughs) slowly. And we definitely don't really care to think about three years out from now when we're so worried about how we need to lose the 10 pounds right now. And so if magazines really gave us the information that we truly needed to make long-term, sustainable, healthy change, the, the headlines wouldn't be very sexy. They wouldn't be very like, ooh, I gotta grab that off the shelf and put it in my cart. And so pause to be like, hey, if I was marketing for a fitness magazine, if I was trying to promote something, how do I grab attention? And usually it means they're going to take some sort of study or piece of information and and expand upon it. Maybe they blow it a little bit out of proportion or maybe they pull out the specific pieces that really, really feel compelling. 
And so, you know, do think about how you can put yourself in a different pair of shoes and apply that when it comes to the things that kind of pop off the page or off the the shelf or off of the the email article to you. Point number three here is don't mow the front lawn when the house is on fire. This is a tactic or a principle, I should say, that I have shared in the past. And it's it's a really important principle that I think offers a visual for us of prioritization of change. It's so easy for magazines, celebrity endorsements, trendy email subject lines to pull us into thinking that we need to try the latest, greatest, best thing in order to actually initiate change. And while we do that, we ignore the things that actually really need to change. The example of this being, if a client comes to me and is like, hey, Reed, I think I really need to go gluten-free. Before we even talk about going gluten-free, I will talk with them about their stress profile, any sort of diagnosis of celiac, understanding if there's anything that, that I need to know in terms of, uh, you know, s- sincere medical diagnosis. We'll talk about their sleep patterns, their hydration. We'll talk about the, the other foods that they're eating beyond glutinous foods. We'll talk about their activity, their exercise, and we'll, we'll create a plan and a solution that is not just centered around the fixation of feeling like they have to be gluten-free. If we sincerely and honestly do some sort of an inflammatory, you know, inflammatory food protocol and do find out, hey, gluten is inflammatory for you, it doesn't leave you feeling good, leaves your gut not in a great spot, then hey, maybe we do make some adjustments. But I think for a lot of people, and I just use that as a simple example, because there's so many trendy things that are easy to glom onto and to say, oh, I bet that's my solution. But think about that visual. Going gluten-free very much so could be like mowing the front lawn While the house is on fire, if someone is under severe chronic stress, getting four to five hours of sleep a night, drinking 35 ounces of water a day, and most of the foods that they're eating are are processed foods. If that's the situation, then going gluten-free isn't going to change those other things. It's simply an attempt at changing something that we think is going to create change when the challenging reality is we need to focus on those other things that have a bigger impact. If, in fact, an individual is not actually gluten sensitive. So just an example for you guys, but do think about, am I getting distracted by these things? You know, if, if I'm constantly pulled in different directions by the latest magazine cover, by the latest diet that my coworker is doing, if I'm constantly changing up my plan, I'm just kind of, you know, following the whim of whatever sounds good or, or whatever it may be, there's a very good chance that you are disregarding some of the elements of your health that may actually be having the biggest impact on your outcome, whether that's physique-based or performance-based or just generally how you feel your energy levels. So I want to recommend a podcast, you guys, that I recorded a little ways back. I will link it in the podcast description. It's called Prioritizing Habit Change, Where to Begin Your Journey to Better Health. And I explain this concept of the pyramid that I coach off of on a very regular basis. This is a core principle of something I do I use in my in my coaching practice. And it helps you to understand for you to start thinking through, even just on your own, to pause and to say, where do I need to do some analysis? And where do I maybe need to start making change rather than fixating on you know what I would call a quick win or a small quick fix that maybe really actually isn't initiating change in your life. Point number four here is that sustainable change doesn't happen crazy sexy fast 
just as Cosmo and all the other magazines want to tell you that their latest diet does. If we really pause to look at foundational principles, as I just mentioned, we look at the things that really are holding us back from feeling healthy, looking healthy, moving in a healthy way. Those are the sorts of things that take time to shift. Those are, for most people, habits that take time for us to shift into. And we do see results with time, but it takes a little bit of time. And as much as we even think about various studies, like the study that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you know, it was a 12-week study that was run. And yes, there were some improvements seen in adipose tissue and certain performance metrics for women that worked out in the morning for the, you know, say, I think it was, what, 26 women or whatever it was, 27. Just because that's the case doesn't mean we don't know all the other variables in the study. And so be careful of looking at these various pieces of research Let's say, hey, if you, you know, if you do intermittent fasting in this X, Y, or Z way, it's going to lead to these results in three weeks. If you suddenly start doing HIIT training five days a week, you know, like like all these claims that come out in all sorts of crazy ways, don't, they they tend to lean into what the marketers know you're going to grab off the shelf. Once again, this ties back to the other point. So just remember that truly making the changes that create sustainable change oftentimes aren't going to be snap your fingers fast. And that's okay. That's actually a really good sign. That's a really, really good sign that the changes that you're making, if you're seeing slow, steady progress, that they're going to be much more sustainable for you to hold on to. So let's recap, my friends. High level, I want you guys to be discerning and intentional when it comes to what you're consuming, what you're reading, what you're seeing come through your inbox, what you're seeing and grabbing off the shelf at the grocery store checkout. Because there are two sides to the claims that are being made. We know there's marketers behind these claims who are trying to sell magazines or sell programs. And we also know that there is lots of great research out there. It's just a matter of making sure we're finding the research or the information that truly has a healthy, good quality sample size. They're controlling for variables as best as they can. And the the outcome or the result of the study actually is relevant to what you're looking to achieve in your life. Think about those four main points that I talked through of being careful to look past the pages of the magazine article. Dig into the studies. Go online and find these studies. They're available. Almost all of them are openly available to find. Just a matter of looking for them. Also consider that fitness magazines want you to chase the next thing. So when you think about verbiage or how things draw you in, there there are marketers behind that. (laughs) Strategic marketers. Think about in your own life, how am I making sure that I'm prioritizing change in the right way? Don't mow the front lawn when the house is on fire. If you tend to find that these magazine articles are pulling you in different directions on a constant basis, maybe it's not even the cover of a magazine, but it's people that you know who are dieting or trying to figure out the next solution. Pause and, and, and do a true inventory of where am I at? Where do I need to make change? And do I need to stop chasing down these bunny trails that are not getting me anywhere in the long term? Because point number four is the fact that sustainable change isn't going to happen crazy, sexy, fast, just like the magazine cover wants to tell you. It's a slow and steady process. And that truly is a great sign that what you're doing will be sustainable. So my friends, key takeaway here. The next time you're tempted to grab that magazine off the shelf, I want you to pause 
And I want you to just consider if the information is actually going to benefit you or simply take you down an unproductive bunny trail. Because we can spend years of our life, years, I've coached many women that have spent decades actually, running down all different sorts of bunny trails, who eventually reach a point where they say, Read, this is not working. I'm not getting results. I don't feel good. I can't believe how much of my time and my life and my energy has been poured into into prioritizing my health, but I'm not actually getting the results. I don't look the way I want to. I don't feel the way I want to. My body doesn't move the way I want it to. And they're like, I can't believe I've spent so much time running down so many bunny trails. So my friends, be discerning, be smart here. If you want to dig into the science, dig into it because there's some really good stuff out there. But do be careful and intentional that there are marketers behind all these programs, all these headlines, and selling things is their ultimate priority. So be discerning of what you need to take in for your own health journey. That is what I have for you today, my friends. If you have any crazy stories of anything you've tried after reading a magazine cover or a magazine article, I would love to know. And you guys know that you can always reach out to me as well. If you are in a place, in a position where you're like, you know what, Rita, I'm so fed up with running down bunny trails. I need to make change. My friends, find me on my website, find me on social. I would love to talk about the next steps for you and what that might look like. That is what I have for you, my friends. We will chat oh so soon. Thank you for tuning into the Fit Feed by Read podcast. If this had a positive impact on you, I'd be so honored to have you share it with a fellow female millennial. Send it through text message or post it on your Instagram story, tagging me at Fit Feed by Read. I hope you guys have a stellar week ahead of building healthy habits. And don't forget, God loves you.